Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of Crunch Time with Kruk. We're not at the table today. We're in the <laughs> locker room for the football team. Uh, before we get started, I heard you got something about the Masters, Max. Yes, I do, Kruk. This past Sunday, Japanese golfer Hiniki Matsuyama won the 2021 Masters Tournament. He won by one shot over American golfer Will Zaratoris. Matsuyama will be the first Japanese golfer, Kruk, to win the Masters. That is very cool to hear. Kruk, do you got any other thoughts you want to say? Not really on the Masters. Congratulations once again to him. Moving forward, this weekend is Jackie Robinson Day in MLB. Since we're bringing it up, it's the 19th Jackie Robinson Day so far. His jersey has been retired by every organization, twice over by the Yankees, once for Mariano Rivera and for Jackie Robinson. But without much further ado, let's hop right into this week's MLB Weekly. We'll be discussing what happened around the MLB. Kruk, right now, as the MLB Stegen has started to begin, the season has become wild. Every team right now, right now, the Boston Red Sox, can't you believe that? Right now, leading the AL East. And the, right now, the Kansas City Royals and the Indians are right now atop the AL Central. The Mariners and Angels atop the AL West. The Dodgers right now, though, have the best record right now with a 10-2 and overall record with the Padres at 9-5 and and the Giants at 8-4. and so, Kruk, what, what are some updates you got for this baseball season? How do you think it's looking so far? Well, I mean, when you think about it, the Dodgers are the first team to 10 wins on the season. They're 10-2. and two. They are currently leading the NL. They're 5-0 and oh at home. They're 5-2 and two on the road. They've scored 68 runs. They've given up 32. Excuse me, they've given up 36, which is a difference of plus 32, which means that compared to all their opponents, on average, they score about – two to three runs more than them. The Red Sox, as you mentioned, are leading the AL at a 9-4 and four record. It's got kind of a weird thing, though. They're 3-3 three and three at home, huh. but they're 6-1 and one on the road. So they play better on the road. A huge change for them. If the last two years, they've gutted the entire outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr. going to the Brewers. Mookie Betts going to the uh, Dodgers. Dodgers yep. The Royals picking up one of their – Benintendi, one of their outfielders yeah. as well. So completely new outfield over the last two years. Another team I want to talk about, the Royals, off to a hot start. They're 7-3. and three. They won the series against the Rangers to open the season. They split with the Indians. They split with the White Sox, who are actually really good this year. And then they won the series against the Angels, and they're currently playing a series against the Blue Jays, which I will be heading to tonight to get you a live report on it next week. Mm. The Yankees, the Braves, and the Rays all doing terrible out the gate. And they're yeah. supposed to be really good this year. The Yankees dropped the series against the Blue Jays. They dropped two series against the Blue Jays. They lost to the Rays, but then they won against the Orioles. So they're kind of on a good track. The Braves are 5-8. and eight. Freddie Freeman was last year's NL MVP. Mm-hmm. You know, both, both leagues had a first baseman win it all. But Ronald Acuna Jr. is showing off exactly what he thinks he can do this year and proving people wrong for not voting him last year. They started the season off with being swept by the Phillies. Then they won back-to-back series against the Nats and then the Phillies, and then they lost three straight to the Marlins. And then last year's World Series losers, the Rays, who should be really good this year, are currently 26th in the MLB. They started off the season by winning against the Marlins. They got swept against the Red Sox. They won a series against the Yankees, which is surprising. And then they dropped three straight against the Rangers. The only bright spot is Tyler Glass now. He struck out 29 batters, only walked three, and he's got a win on the season. Yeah, Krug, it's, it's been an interesting year so far. But right now the team that is still looking the same, with like you mentioned, the Braves, the Rays, all those teams not looking great, is the L.A. Dodgers. 
They're still looking like the team that is representing the NL. I think adding pitcher Trevor Bauer was a big pick for the pitching rotation for the Dodgers. It was a big one because this team needed another pitcher, and obviously winning the Cy Young Award with the Reds last season, Trevor Bauer had a lot to prove, and he wanted to go down to the Dodgers to win a championship. He wanted to win a World Series, and that was one of his goals. And obviously, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, still looking great from last season. Right now, Betts has 10 hits, and Seager right now has 16 at this moment. So right now, they're still looking at their point so far. But another team, though, I'm looking at is I'm looking at another L.A. team, Crook, in the Angels. Now, I get it. The Angels lost a good series with the Royals over the week. But Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are big pieces for the Angels. And I really – don't you think this is interesting? Otani pitches too, and he does – and he hits like the four or five spot in the lineup, which is very different. Usually you don't see pitchers that much get in the batting lineup that much. Usually it's a DH they have or someone else different. But Otani has that interesting difference for him to help himself out. And like you mentioned, the Boston Red Sox leading the AL East. Obviously, it's way too early still. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. I remember I mentioned the Yankees, Crook. The Yankees to try to be a team to watch in that division. But right now, they're struggling right now. Hopefully, they can get it going as well. You got anything else, Crook? Uh, as you mentioned, Otani, one of the best pitching hitter duos in the game right now. At the Royals game on Monday, I also got a chance to go to because our Avalos quarterback, John Jacobs, was yeah. kind enough to buy me a ticket to go. <laughs> he hit a double down the line at 119 miles per hour, and he also blazes the ball across the plate at 101 on occasion too. So he's throwing gas whether off the bat or through his hand. Moving forward, there were two amazing things that happened this week in the MLB, and both of them were no-hitters. Joe Musgrove had a no-hitter against the Rangers, and then Carlos Rodon threw a no-hitter against the Indians. Max, what do you got on that? Croc, I'm going to mention and talk about Joe Musgrove from the San Diego Padres. I think that is just an interesting story. First of all, that was the first no-hitter that the Padres had in their franchise history. And that's very cool. Think about that. Their first no-hitter, I mean, that's incredible to have as a franchise. And you can definitely see um, he was a big part of that, obviously, to not let any runs or hits go at him. And some interesting facts I found about him, Crook. He is a San Diego owned. He's a San Diego product. He played at Grossmont High School in La Mesa, California. Uh, Musgrove was first traded by the Toronto Blue Jays back in 2011. However, though, in 2012, he's, like I said, he was traded. He first started with the Blue Jays, my fault. Then he went and got traded to the Astros in 2012. And then overall, he's now led his career at Pittsburgh before finally he came to San Diego. So he's been all around the block, Crook. He's been to a lot of teams, been to a lot of places. But having his first no-hitter and first time for the San Diego Padres is a big award. What do you got on uh, Carlos Rodon there, Crook? Well, I'm going to touch on Musgrove just a little bit more while I have him pulled up. Uh, fun, f <laughs> you know, kind of an interesting fact. Before the game started, he was feeling extra tight in his throwing arm. So he decided to drink 12 bottles of water before the game started. Wow. And he had to. Seemed like that workout. <laughs> he had to use the bathroom extremely bad throughout the game. <sighs> and he actually said in a post-game interview, and I'm quoting here, that was the one thing I didn't want to break, the, the superstition of it all. I didn't want to use the bathroom in the middle of a start. So he was crossing his legs when he was on the bench during those 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. I can guarantee it. <laughs> Fun fact also, uh, Victor Carantini caught that no-hitter and then the previous no-hitter in the MLB before it. So before he got traded this year to the 
uh, Padres. He was with the mm. Chicago Cubs, and he caught the no-hitter that Alec Mills threw against the Brewers on September 15th of 2020. And it's the first time in MLB history a catcher has caught back-to-back no-hitters on different teams. But, yeah, you're right. As you mentioned, uh, Carlos Rodon also threw a no-hitter against the Indians. The final score of that game was 8 to nothing. Uh, Rodon had a perfect game with nine and a third innings pitched. He ended up hitting the toe of a batter, giving him a hit-by-pitch, but he had two strikes against him. So he was up against the wall, couldn't strike him out. He hit him with a pitch, and that broke up the perfect game, got two more quick outs, and the rest is history. He had a no-hitter, and it's actually the second time that the White Sox have had a no-hitter on April 14th. The time previous to it was in 1917, and it was a no-hitter. And once again, he was one batter away from a perfect game. Seems like that day is a good day to have no-hitters for Chicago White Sox, isn't it, Kruk? Now, anyways, when you ever hear a no-hitter, Kruk, it's always it's a great accomplishment, right? It's always great to have that. It's a pitcher's dream. They always want to enjoy having a no-hitter for themselves. And it's just always cool to see that. And hopefully – Maybe we'll have a record for no-hitters. I mean, we've already got two so far. It's the beginning of the year, so maybe we'll have more coming up so far. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Another uh, key information you know about Rodon, uh, he, the last couple of years have been crazy for him. In 2019, he had Tommy John surgery, which is almost a death sentence for, for most pitchers. pitchers. Yep. And he actually returned in 2020. He only pitched seven and two-thirds innings. And he had an 8.22 ERA, which is terrible for a starting pitcher. Yeah. He actually was um, basically cut from the team and just sat in free agency for a while. Uh, the market ended up going in his favor. The White Sox took him back. And as you can see, he threw a no-hitter. So I think the White Sox are going to rethink cutting him again. But when you compare the two of them, when you compare the two players against each other, they both faced – 28 batters. Musgrove struck out 10. Rodon only struck out 7. They both had 10 ground balls that were fielded and thrown at first. Musgrove threw 112 pitches and Rodon threw 114. So these appearances were very similar right down the same path. And surprisingly, they came a week apart. So it's maybe a glitch in the matrix? I don't know. Maybe it's just weird with all COVID going on, Cruck. You never know with how the season's going to be. Kruk, though, we're going to transition now to talk about the NBA Weekly Report. Kruk, that's been a crazy week overall for the NBA. First, I'm going to mention that the L.A. Lakers first beat the Nets without their main players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. This happened last Saturday as they won 126-111 to over the Nets with star players healthy and Kyrie Irving had 18 and Kevin Durant had 22. It's funny, the Lakers lineup consisted of this when they played the Nets, Kruk. They had Markeith Morris, Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Taylor Horton-Tucker. And somehow they found a way to beat the Nets. That's just crazy for me. And then other big news, we had Luka Dantich had a game winner against the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday night. It was a leaning, lunging kind of shot, three-pointer, as the time expired. Overall, though, Dantich has just done that his whole career, though. So you got any more cool highlights you want to tell you about the NBA, or what's your thoughts of NBA this week? Well, I mean, when you really think about it, the Dallas Mavericks have had just a great job when it comes to recruiting European players. They had Dirk Nowinski, one of the best of all time, even in his position of power forward. He's up there with Tim Duncan, Mm -hmm. Kevin Garnett, other players of such caliber. 
But Luka Doncic is really proving that he knows what he's doing. Um, he's really good. People already comparing him to Dirk Nowinski, not just because he's on the Mavericks, but because of the way that he can shoot the ball so cleanly and just so well. Uh thing I'd like to talk about, the Celtics are on a five-game winning streak. Yes, the Celtics and the Lakers are usually two powerhouses in the NBA. Celtics are on their way back here. Five-game winning streak. They're in the third seat in the East. Uh, Jalen Brown scored 40 points against the Lakers in that win. Tatum scored 32 in the win against the Blazers. And then Tatum has become the youngest Celtic to drop 50 points, beating the great Larry Bird. So the Celtics are on a roll here. Obviously, it's going to be hard to beat the uh, – streak that the Showtime Lakers had way back when I the numbers slipping my mind but that was a very long streak yeah do you think the Celtics can do it well I mean the Celtics right now like you said they're on a five five game winning streak but I think they just got to keep consistency right crook you got to keep consistency as a team Jalen Brown Jason Tatum all those players got to keep it up for the Celtics in the east it's the east is still open to any teams I mean right now the Sixers Sixers are leading that league right now and that's bit. I mean, if they can keep competing and keep getting well, I mean, the Sixers though they got to be healthy. I think that's a big key with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons that whole entire year. They can be healthy with now Doc Rivers being the head coach there at there in the Sixers. That's a big key for that thing. But I'm gonna go to the West Coast Conference real quick. Talk about the Phoenix Suns. I really like the Phoenix Suns and how this team is. We saw them in the bubble. They were undefeated when they were in the bubble, and now they have Devin Booker and they have DeAndre Ayton and then getting Chris Paul. That's another big key for the Suns. And I get it. Everyone's talking about the Lakers and LeBron. Anthony Davis are healthy and think that's going to be important. But I think the Suns can bring some competition. I mean, the Jazz, too, they're up there. they got Donovan Mitchell and they got Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's another big key. But I think the Suns are a team you might want to watch out for. Maybe they make it to the finals. Maybe they find and, make and be competitive as well. Well, in a day and age where there really is no such thing as a true small market team I think the Phoenix Suns the Milwaukee Bucks and maybe like the Sacramento Kings are the only three true small market teams where they really don't get enough talked about is what how good they're doing the Phoenix Suns are doing absolutely amazing Chris Paul is the top five point guard of all time hands down Devin Booker one of the best pure shooting guards in the game right now aside from Clay Thompson when he's not hurt uh, DeAndre Ayton, he's an old-school type center. Yeah. He can run the pick-and-roll to perfection. He can grab rebounds. He's a young version of more or less Andre Drummond. But as I mentioned, the Sacramento Kings, uh, they're not going so far right now. They're in a slump. They've lost yep. nine straight games. Uh, before starting the slump, though, they were 7-1 and one in their last eight games. So they went seven wins, and now they're going nine straight losses. Mm. It's a tough game for them. The Clippers turned it around, though. They're on a seven-game yeah. winning streak. They're currently sitting third in the Western, and uh, they just edged out a win versus Detroit. Uh, they have Reggie Jackson on the team. Now, he used to play for the Detroit Pistons until they got rid of him or he yeah. left. True, true. Um, and, yeah, he won the game winner. He shot the game winner against Detroit. So what a way to return back to Detroit. That game was crazy, though, because Kawhi, PG, Serge Ibaka, and Pat Beverly were all out. So the Lakers had a bunch of talent out. The Clippers had a bunch of talent out. Right now it looks like the dog days of summer for the NBA. Yeah, it's a crazy – who knows what the NBA is going to be like. Any team can try to win that division. But quick note here, Crook, we're going to mention we had some news coming um, from the NBA as well. 
with LaMarcus Aldridge. He is obviously, he's announced that he's retiring from the NBA. He played 15 total seasons in the NBA after, after he announced that he was experiencing irregular heartbeat. That is why he wanted to also focus on his health more and take care of his family. Just quick thoughts of what you think about that. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge has really been uh, a talented player throughout his career when he was with the Blazers and as well as when he was with the Spurs. He came to the Nets, didn't really play that long with the Nets. He was uh, getting older, but you never want to see somebody go down when it's not, you know, what they want to do. This irregular heartbeat, you know, like you never want to see a player go out not on their own terms. Uh, if he could play, you'd love to see him play more. But, unfortunately, he has to sit out for health reasons. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. Yeah, and it's important that he's focusing on his health right now. You know what I mean? And what's funny is that he was scoring a lot of points with the Nets. He's obviously right now when he had the announces, he was with the Nets. He was scoring 12, 14 points a game for that organization. So, I mean, but again, he wanted to focus on himself. And like you said, he had great years with the Spurs. And all those runs that they had with Greg Popovich and, you know, Timmy, Tony Parker and um, Tim Duncan and that whole organization. And that was that was just very cool to see, Krupp. And since we're talking about retiring, Julian Edelman, one of the lifetime great Patriot wide receivers, has called it quits after he could not pass a physical for the Patriots organization. Some say he didn't pass the physical, so he's retiring. End of the line, he is retiring. So... Uh, we'd like to wish him well. Just We're going to talk about his career real quick. What do you got on him, Max? Yeah, Kruk, I was obviously shocked a little bit that um, Elderman was retiring. And I always remember the perseverance and the the will that Elderman has had throughout his whole career. He first, can't you believe he's played quarterback first at Kent State University before he got drafted to New England. And some cool stats I found when he actually, at Kent State when playing quarterback, he threw for 1,820 yards but also had 13 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. You know, it's kind of funny. Some good stats, but not some great stats. But, again, obviously realizing he's a great receiver, we realize that it's not just his position. So, but anyways, though, Elderman is he's one of the best. You know what I mean? He's one of the best. And, obviously, the relationship he had with Tom Brady and the connections he had with Tom Brady, what's funny is that he was selected as the 232nd pick in the seventh round of the 2009 NFL draft. And Tom Brady was a six-round pick in the 199. So again, two late round picks going to New England that became stars. And I think they both have a connection to that. And there was just one quote that I found that Tom said to him before he retired. He said, you never lost a chip on your shoulder and you never let anyone define you as a person or a player. Proud of you, Jules, and love you. And that's that just shows the connection those two have together, Kruk. And I mean, we hope that Elderman keeps well. We hope he finds himself whatever he believes is best for him. And that's obviously our goal for anyone in life. Isn't that right, Crook? I mean, absolutely. Julian Edelman, just to break down his stats, uh, he may not be the biggest guy in the world, especially on the team, but he does leave huge shoes to fill for the Patriots organization. 137 games, 620 receptions, and then 6,822 receiving yards. That's an average of 11 yards per reception over his career. He had 36 touchdowns, 66% catch radius, and then he would average 50 yards per game. And he ended up winning three Super Bowls with the Patriots in 2014, 2016, and then 2018. He was the 2018 Super Bowl MVP. He made that amazing catch yeah. against the Falcons. Like, mm -hmm. I remember watching that, and that was insane to me. Yeah. But um, he was NFL top 100 uh, four times in his career. 
2015, 2016, 2017, and then back again in 2019. Uh, but he had that amazing catch against the Falcons. But he was he had a great career. He's a great player. Uh, it's up in the air whether or not he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Personally, I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But his career is most definitely something that could make it eventually. Yeah, and like I mentioned, one last thing I'll tell about here about Elderman is that also being a three-time Super Bowl champion, being the Super Bowl MVP back in 2018, and just his whole – I always just love – a story of the underdog you know what I mean I always like underdog stories and people moving up to be what they are and that's what Elderman really was his whole career as he kept building up himself and finally he went to an organization like the Patriots that is known to be hard on you you know what I mean Belichick doesn't mess around and Belichick is always serious with the organization and how they you know construct their players Krupp. yeah absolutely uh moving forward it's really getting to be a regular thing now, but Avila's got a wild weekend going on once again. They have baseballs taking on York College, a doubleheader on Saturday, followed by a third game on Sunday. And then softball has a doubleheader against Ottawa. So, Max, what do you got on those games? Cruck, I mean, it's going to be a great week for Avila Athletics as usual. Obviously, we had a crazy week last week, right? We had a lot of games last week. It's a little bit more dimmed down with the schedule. Uh, with all the events, but I feel like the baseball team, it's their senior week, right? They're going to come out there motivated as well. I mean, the record hasn't been what it's been like this whole season, so obviously they want to go on a note knowing they just got to finish the season strong. And Jared Fry and that whole team needs to come out there and just get big hits, you know, do what they can and do what's basically what's asked of them. And same for the softball team, right? They're playing the 25th-ranked Ottawa University which is they're in the rankings for the NAI. So it's going to be a challenge, right? It's going to be a challenge for the whole team, and they got to just stick together. Mia Marino, Chelsea Kurtz, that whole team needs to be out there and just do what they're asked, like I said, with baseball. You know what I mean? Just get the hits, make some big plays in the field, and obviously the pitching staff's got to be well. I mean, absolutely just breaking it down for you at home. Avila, is, Avila Baseball is batting 246. They're slugging 403, and that's through 32 games. Uh, they have 230 hits, 30 home runs, then 104, or excuse me, 140 RBIs. So kind of low for late in the season, but not terrible stats. York is batting 244. They're slugging 359, which is surprising you're slugging mm. so low. But they've played 36 games. They've got 254 hits, 19 home runs, which is extremely low. Yeah. And then 153 RBIs. So key takeaway here, Avila has to start the game hot, and they have to be able to keep their pitcher in cold water and runners off the base paths. With softball, Avila is batting 282, which is remarkably well for a mm -hmm. team. They've got a slugging percentage of 418, and they've played 31 games. They have 237 hits, 20 home runs, and 148 RBIs. So both softball and baseball for Avila – have been absolutely destroying the ball and putting it over the fence. Ottawa is batting 352, which is just an outstanding mark wow. as a team. They're slugging over 500, which is also amazing, and that's through 34 games, so they've definitely been battle-tested. They've got 322 hits, 11 home runs, kind of low again, mm -hmm. and then 197 RBIs, which is also a little low for having such a good batting average and so many hits. But their home runs and RBIs are low. So they get them on. They just can't always get them around. Key takeaway there, Morgan Senevi. Is she going to play? Is she not? She has been battling injuries. 
The word says she's back, but we'll find out later. While we got this time, though, uh, dance team went to nationals last yeah. weekend, and they did pretty good. They ended up getting uh, second place, so I've heard. Uh, second place to a D1 team, so congratulations to them. They scored the highest and won in the hip-hop routine, which got to love that. And then, as we mentioned last week, football, the selection. Avila ended up not making yeah. the selection, um, being two Avila football players. We were not <laughs> rather really happy thrilled. with yeah, mm -hmm. that team that actually replaced us in the playoffs. But uh, regardless, end of the day, we get a ring. And, um, you know, we just got to put in more work and win it next year. Right, Max? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's sad we didn't make it in the tournament. I mean, we can have an argument uh, of a long time of, oh, we, we had more games and they were 4-1 and one and all that. But overall, like you said, Kruk, we can only control what we can control, right? And, you know, we're going to get a ring at the end and we're going to be obviously co-champions of the KCAC. So. But mentioning softball, we have an interview coming up with none other than the head softball coach for Avila University, Coach Bryce White. Uh, I sat down and I talked to him about who does he think is the best switch hitter in all of baseball, knowing that he is an MLB fan. So without much more, we're going to jump right into it. So we're live here with Coach Bryce White of the Avila softball team. How are you doing today, Bryce? I'm all right. How are you all doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Major League Baseball's best switch hitters of all time. So, who do you have? Oh, man, you know, you brought me this topic this morning a little bit. I was thinking about it. Obviously, I'm a big Chipper Jones guy. Uh, you know, grew up just Chipper was the man, you know, picking it up that third and swinging it from both sides. And then, uh, you know, obviously you got Mickey Mantle, Pete Rose. And then, uh, you know, I think uh, Eddie Murray puts himself up there. You know, I think uh, those four kind of separate themselves. And with the uh, – I believe – uh, they're all 500 home run club guys. And so, you know, from both sides, that's pretty impressive. That's uh, that's really impressive, actually. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, you know, me growing up a Brewers fan moving to Kansas City for college, I kind of morphed a little bit into a Royals fan. But the one team I just consistently am not a fan of is the Yankees. I feel like you either love the Yankees or you just don't like the Yankees at all. But my personal choice for best switcher of all time has to be Mickey Mantle. Just uh, breaking down his stats, he batted 300 from both sides of the plate. He had a 420 on base percentage, and he was slugging 560 also from both sides of the plate. Ended his career with 536 home runs, and most of his home runs came from the left-handed side, which was his unnatural side. He had 372 home runs from the left side of the plate, which his dad actually coached him up when he was young to actually bat switch hitter because his dad thought it would be Easier for him to get into the league being a switch-hitting outfielder. Uh, and his dad was right because Mickey Mantle went down as one of the greatest ever player, really. And obviously he was pretty gifted already. You know, I think natural talent would have probably got Mickey a long ways on his own. Uh, you know, but you're right. Uh, yeah, not a big Yankees fan myself. But, uh, you know, and, and then on top of that, you just wonder what the injuries of his career, you know, did to possibly his career numbers because uh, – you know, Mickey retired pretty young. You know, he didn't get uh, you know didn't get the full career that some of these guys have gotten, and his numbers were phenomenal. Obviously, the game's uh, you know now with specialty pitchers and stuff like that out of the pen, which it's changed a little bit with the with the relievers having to see three uh, three batters. But uh, you know that was there. You didn't see much of that then. Was the specialty guys, and so you know I think obviously Mickey and 
Mickey and Pete Rose, you know, they, they kind of separate themselves. And then I think you got Murphy and Chipper there. And then, you know, the, looking down on my list here, there's a couple guys that, you know, kind of go – had really good, quiet careers. Uh, another Yankee that you were – Bernie Williams. You know, Bernie Williams won a couple rings and had a great career. Uh, Carlos Beltran. I mean, the dude at one point was one of the most feared hitters from both sides of the plate. You know, you think about what he did – probably a little more known for his postseason heroics with the Yan with the Mets there a little bit than regular season but you know again injuries and uh you know that dude could rake you know he was one of the most feared hitters of you know when he played and so it's uh when you brought me that list or when you brought that up I was pretty interested to look at my list because there's some dudes on there that I'm like man uh Roberto Alomar great player and you know, and then you take what these guys did offensively and defensively, and now, you know, are we taking just the whole package or are we taking the whole – just the offensive side? So, there could be a, a greater debate if you got a little deeper into the full player. You oh, know, Because yeah. there's some special guys on there. Uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Smith, you know, uh, talked about him a little bit ago in the office. Uh, he'd be hard not to put up there swinging it from both sides and defensively. So, you know, what do we kind of – Depends on what you're going for a little bit here when you talk about your your top. Obviously, Mickey was a freak defensively as well. I mean, absolutely. Uh, another guy who I did a lot of research on trying to, like, convince myself he was one of the best. I ended up not going with him. But Tim Raines, when he played for the Montreal Expos, that man was a leadoff batter. And he actually went six consecutive years batting over 380 from both sides of the plate and slugging over 385, being a leadoff man. You know, his job was to get on base. And when he got on, he would steal. He's actually fifth most all-time for steals, and it's right around the 800 range. And he was only thrown out about 150 times. So when he stole a base, he stole it very well, and he could get all the way to second and third when he wanted to. Uh, but he touched on it also, Roberto Alomar. He was one of my... Backup picks as well. He was a 300 hitter uh, throughout the majority of his career, and his defense was outstanding as well. Chipper Jones's defense and Mickey Mantle's defense were all outstanding. And one of the uh, switch hitters that you mentioned real quick, but I just want to go deep dive on, was Pete Rose, the infamous Pete Rose. You know, everybody's going to know him if they know baseball for his gambling. But people really forget about how good of a batter he was. He was a natural right-handed batter. But he got the majority of his hits left-handed just because there's not that many left-handed pitchers. So to be able to switch sides of the plate as a, you know, grown-up, because he didn't start switch hitting until college. So, you know, to be able to switch that late in your career and prove to be that great of an MLB player, that's just an outstanding feat. NBA, uh, you know, he's not there, but the dude's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, uh, you're right. I mean, obviously Pete was a phenomenal hitter, you know, his – you know what he did like was just in that in that era of the game was just phenomenal you know and i think you know i think you move into today's game a little bit uh who's your who's your who's your guy right now that's the best switch hitter in the game uh my favorite switch hitter in the game's got to be uh francisco lindor as much as i uh i'm not a fan of the indians um, or from Cleveland, well, he's a Met, no. but he went to the Mets. So, I mean, dude got paid, you know, I like him a little bit more now, but, um, it'd be between him and then, you know, kind of a snake in the grass, uh, Alberto Mondesi with the Royals. He's got speed and he can, uh, hit from both sides of the plate pretty well. 
Yeah, I think Lindor, obviously, right now, especially with what he's seeing from uh, the bullpen side, like 95-plus every time, whether it's righty or lefty. You know, nobody – It's uh, I was watching a game the other day and somebody ran out uh, three relievers that were all 97-plus, and I'm like, two of them from the left side, and I'm like, good day, you know. Uh, so the game's changed so much in that aspect. And so I think, you know, if you look back in 10 years on uh, have this same conversation, I think you might bump him a little bit higher just with the uh, specialty stuff that he's seeing from, you know, they're they're trying to find his weakness and the dude just produces. I mean, you're absolutely right. And so, you know, like we've, we've thrown out a lot of great names. Um, you know, obviously it's not up to us to pick your – favorite switch hitter of all time we encourage you to look them up because there's a lot of great ones out there and feel free to tell us in the comments which one you think is your favorite but until next time this is jacob Krugenberg. this has been crunch time with crack I'd like to thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time